that we can. I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about something that I think is very important during our day and time, especially right now. And that is the idea of fearlessly facing an invisible enemy. Fearlessly facing an invisible enemy. As you know, uh, Mr. Trump has titled this coronavirus an invisible enemy. And I can see exactly where he's coming from. It's definitely not for us. It's against us. It's an enemy to us all throughout the whole world. But yet there's a fight, there's a battle that must be fought. And so we need to do so and fight this battle with all of our might and fight it fearlessly. I'm impressed when I study through the Bible the number of times that God tells his people do not fear. Do not fear. I understand the Bible speaks of different kinds of fear and how we're to fear God and reverence him and things of that nature. But so many times God says there's a bad fear and he says do not fear. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. God told Abram not to fear because basically he said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm your shield. Put your trust in me. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 24, God says the same thing, basically, but he says it to Isaac. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, the same basically is said to Joshua. And the Lord... He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Isaiah 41, verse 10, and also verse 13. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am the God. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. For I am the Lord thy God, and will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Matthew chapter 10, verse 31. The Bible says, Fear ye not, therefore, for ye are more valuable than many sparrows. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Words that should comfort all. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. 
There are all sorts of enemies that we have, not just a virus. Sometimes in, in, some time, uh, in days past, many had, ha had some troubles with, with people and with governments and things like that. But, but whatever it is out there that's an enemy, God says to us, fear not, be not afraid. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And so we need to keep that in mind. It is obvious and therefore comforting to know that God does not want us living in fear no matter what may happen in our lives or the circumstances that may surround us. That is no kind of a life to live frightened all the time. And so my first point this morning is simply the benefit of a trial. The benefit of a trial. There's a book that was written by a man by the name of Malcolm Gladwell. And on page 128 of this book, which is titled David and Goliath, he writes, In the years leading up to the Second World War, the British government was worried. If in the event of war, the German Air Force launched a major air offense, offensive against London, the British military command believed that there was nothing that they could do to stop it. As a result, the government worried that the people of London would panic, stop working, flee into the surrounding countryside, and that all industrial production would grind to a halt, and they would lose the war as a result. They contemplated building a massive network of underground shelters, set up several mental hospitals outside the city to handle the flood of mental cases once the bombing started. Actually, the Germans held the very same theory as the British people. They believed that in bombing London, they would destroy the morale of the British people. The bombing did arrive, and it was horrific. Over a million buildings were destroyed, yet the widespread panic never happened. And the mental hospitals never saw a wave of patients and were eventually repurposed for other uses. Any of that sound familiar? This is what was learned from that bombing on that occasion. The bombing produced three main groups of people. The first, of course, were the dead. Some were hit by the bombs and, and they died. The second group of people were those that you would call the near misses, uh, who were often traumatized by the event. You can only imagine what it would be like if a bomb hit near you, very close to you, and how frightening that could be that it was so close. A, a, a near miss. And the third was the remote misses who at times came out of the experience with a sense of triumph and a sense of pure happiness. 
as I was thinking about these near misses and hits, it just so happened that last week I was playing a game called Battleship with a, I think she's 12, uh, who likes to challenge me, a friend of mine, and, and as she would call out a certain uh, letter and, and number, you know, you had to put a peg there, and if your battleship is in that, where that peg is, that's a hit, and you put a red peg in there. And uh, she's very competitive, and I'm just a tad bit competitive, so when she starts calling out these numbers, if it's real close to my ship, it kind of it kind of makes me want to move my ship just a little bit, but I, I wouldn't do something like that, probably. But many times she would call out a number, and, and it would be like a near miss. It'd be like right beside my ship, so I'd put a, a peg there, you see? And so it just came to mind, you know, even today in what we're going on, as I, as I examine uh, what we've been going through recently, I see that this present crisis, this, this COVID-19, has also brought to view at least three classes of people or groups of people. One, of course, would be those that have contacted the virus and died. Direct hit, in some cases, in most cases, we're glad to say people over it and they get well, but, but in so many cases, they have not been able to. So that's one class of people. There's another, that's the second, those that are so afraid that their fear has caused them to be traumatized. It may be by a, a near miss. Perhaps it's someone close to them has has contacted the virus, uh, but whatever, just the idea of the virus and the treatment of what's going on, the way it's being treated by our federal government and the scientists and the doctors that, that are way up there, uh, it may cause many to panic and to actually become immobilized with fear. You ever heard of being scared stiff? Well, that's true. I mean, you can be so frightened at a certain time that you can't move. And then the third that I see are those who use caution and continue to be productive in life, who should come out of this experience with a sense of triumph and a sense of pure happiness. In this man's book, Mr. Gladwell uh, wrote also this. He said, we are also prone to be afraid of being afraid, and the conquering of fear produced exhilaration. In the midst of the blitz, I'm sure he's talking about the bombing and all that was going on, a middle-aged laborer in a button factory was asked if he wanted to be evacuated to the countryside. He had been bombed out of his house twice, but each time he and his wife had been fine. He refused to be evacuated and said, what? And miss all of this, he exclaimed, not for all the gold in China. There's never been nothing like it, never, and never will be again. You see, the reason he had such confidence and boldness was because of those near misses. Twice he had been bombed out of his house, but yet he was still alive. 
And so because of making it through those dear misses, he was able to have that great confidence. You know, when I read that, I immediately thought about David. Of course, this book is called David and Goliath, so naturally my mind would go in that direction. But I thought about David and, and how he faced off Goliath, that great giant. And he was just a young man, but he was able to do that, to have that confidence and boldness because of some near misses in his life, we could say. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34 and 35, the Bible says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. As David sees this giant who is defying the army of God, morning and evening, morning and evening, he remembers back at some near misses in his life, how that his life was spared. And he had great confidence or boldness as a result of what had happened in his life. When he saw the giant, he was not traumatized by fear. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 36 and 37, the Bible goes on to say, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Seeing he has defied the army of the living God, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. You see how that he could look back into his life and he could see those near misses, but yet he survived. And since he survived on those occasions, he felt very confident since God was with him then and delivered him then, he would deliver him once again as he went to fight this huge man. Another quote in Gladwell's book is this, Courage is not something that you already have that makes you brave when the tough times come. Courage is what you earn when you've been through tough times. You go through tough times and you come out more courageous than you were before. And you go through another tough time and, and God gives you the victory. And you make it through another. And so as life goes on, you look back and you've had more and more and more difficult times. But every time you see how God delivered you from those near misses. And then you have courage to press on. David's courage or bravery was there because of those near misses that he had had in his past. You see, he did not have the spirit of fear. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. You know that word fear there means to be timid or, or to be cowardly. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. When you think about Saul and when you think about Saul's army, when they would run and hide every time the giant came out and challenged them to send him a man to fight him in battle. They were so afraid. They were so cowardly. 
Notice, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11, the Bible says, When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were scared stiff, to put it plainly. But not David. My second point is this. Confident or crushed? Confident or crushed? The challenge that we face is that of refusing to let near misses make us fearful and dismayed. We cannot allow this virus to do that to us. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. Many people who lived through the Great Depression that I guess lasted somewhere between 1929 to 1939. You had the Depression the first couple of years and then recession after that, but just uh, about 10 years. Uh, you have probably known some of those in your lifetime. Um, I hadn't figured out exactly how old you would be if you lived through the Great Depression, but uh, I have known people that did over the years, uh, actually I have, and, and I know that uh, oftentimes, when, since they lived through those very extremely hard times, then they have lived the remainder of their years in fear of losing everything all over again. I believe I saw where the unemployment rate was like 24% during that time. It was very high. But you know how some people, they're, they're, they're very frugal, and some extremely so. Nothing wrong with being frugal. That's good. We're stewards of all that we have. But some are just always so frightened that that's going to happen again. I had a friend that used to tell me all the time before he passed that I need to be storing up canned uh, goods and all sorts of things, getting ready for when uh, you could not buy anything. So they lived in fear the remainder of their lives because of what had happened in their past. Also, another example, due to the lack of commitment of our society for the sanctity of marriage, many young people have ex experienced firsthand divorce, that being the divorce of their parents. And because of that and seeing the, that horrible situation, they now have a fear of getting married because they look back at what happened in their past and what they lived through. Some have lived through hurricanes and, and had those near misses and even today are extremely afraid of bad weather. Others have witnessed shootings and near shootings in churches and now are afraid to go out into any public gathering because of perhaps those near misses in their lives, that fear from what has happened in the past. And many will live in fear of this coronavirus the rest of the days of their lives. It is so easy to let something that happened in our past cause us to be very fearful in our future. So how should one handle these near misses in his life? You see, it's a fact. 
For every person that comes out of these near misses or these trials with great courage and confidence, confidence, there are others that will come out fearful, broken, wounded, and crushed forever. Some will exit these near misses so fearful that it will cause them to lose their own souls. Revelation 21, verse 8, you remember, the Bible says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars that have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We cannot allow anything in our lives to cause us to be so traumatized, so immobilized, so frightened that we stop doing the Lord's work. We must press on with courage and be not dismayed. My third point is this. It's just the good news. You want some good news? Let me give you some good news. The good news is that it is in our control. Whether we will exit these trials, faithful or fearful, stronger or weaker, confident or crushed, we have much to do with that. We have it in our hands how we're going to come out of these near misses, the one we're presently in, and those that will be in the future if there be such. I'm reminded of what James said in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, when you fall into divers' trials, when you fall into different manners of persecutions and troubles, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work is patience, that's endurance. And then he said, And let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so James says, during all those difficulties going on at that time, count it all joy, rejoice, because you're going to profit. You're going to come out better on the other side, stronger on the other side, more confident on the other side if you go into these trials with the right attitude. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, the writer says, Cast not away, therefore thy confidence. The American Standard says boldness, which hath great recompense of reward. There's a great reward for those who do not cast away their confidence. But here's something that I really like about this verse. This verse lets me know that I don't have to worry about the confidence that I have just up and walking away from me someday. That one day I'm going to have confidence and the next day it's just going to disappear and I have no control over it. You see, our confidence cannot leave us without our consent or our permission. That's why he said, don't cast away your confidence. Don't you throw it away. And so when times of trouble come, don't throw away your confidence. Hold on to it. Be bold. Have courage. Be courageous. 
And do not worry about losing your confidence when going through these trials, but rather focus on the things that you're going to gain as you go through these trials. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, Paul said, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Glory in tribulations? Knowing, this is how you can glory, that tribulation worketh patience. Sounds like what we just read in James, doesn't it? And patience, experience. You know what that word experience means? Character. Hard times, tribulations, these near misses, these trials of life, they build character. And experience or character, hope. And so, as we look at the present condition that we're in, we've been through a few months of trials, haven't we? But look where we are today. Hopefully, we're on the downside of this thing. And we're still confident. We still trust in God. We're still being productive. We're still pressing on, looking forward to this day to come and assemble and worship, and tonight and tomorrow to be able to go about our way serving and pleasing God. So as we think about the good news, the good news is it's in my control how I get through this particular trial. It's up to you how you come out, how you exit out. So the question we must ask, though, is what is my ultimate goal in life? What is your ultimate goal? If you've got one ultimate goal, what is your ultimate goal? Well, if it's, to, if it's staying physically alive as long as possible, if that's your goal, that will undermine your confidence and your courage. If that's your main goal. Because then you're going to be afraid to do a lot of things that you may be called upon to do in this life that may be dangerous, may put your life in harm's way. And so if that's your goal, then you're going to struggle with having the boldness that you need to please God. You see, Paul was a very, very courageous man. And it's easy to see that his courage was tied to the fact that he was not afraid of death. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and also verse 23, Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I wonder how many of us see it the same way Paul saw it. Are we in a strait betwixt two? Or is it our, our life's goal to live as long as humanly possible on the face of God's green earth? Or is there something greater than that for which we desire? That is to be with the Lord in eternity. You see, that helps us with our courage. 
Paul's ultimate goal was to be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul wrote, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When that is our ultimate goal, we don't have to fear. You see, when, when our ultimate goal is to be with the Lord, the dangerous things of this life suddenly lose their intimidation factor. It's not so much about the here and now as it is being over yonder with the Lord and with all the redeemed of all ages. We should be walking every day looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, longing for the day when we can see him face to face, be with Christ Jesus forevermore. We must stay close. Stay close to God. Not just during trying and troublesome times, but always stay close to God. In Psalm 91, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall thou, thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, or for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the dark, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angel charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And then he continues to talk about where we need to be, and that is always close to God, being guarded by his sheltering arms, being blessed by him. This passage is not saying that we will be free from all trials and tribulations and hardships because we know the Bible teaches otherwise. But what it is teaching us that God will be with us through them all. Trust in Him at all times. In Romans chapter 8, listen to this. Very comforting. Romans chapter 8. We'll start reading with about verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or pestilence, nakedness, 
distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or perils of sword, sword, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Savior. Isn't that comforting? To know that no one or nothing can separate us from God with the exception of ourselves. You see, God has placed it in our hands. No wonder in James 4, verse 8, James would write and say, Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. During these times, we need to be sure that we are drawing nigh to God. You see, here is the truth of the matter. Jesus died for the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, Paul wrote, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they would live, should not henceforth live unto themselves. Very important. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, because of our sins, we all deserve death and condemnation. For many of us, we have deserved it. We deserved it a long time ago. Some are much younger, have recently reached the age of accountability, but the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all the sins come short of the glory of God, and that being the case, when one sins, reaching that age of accountability, he is then dead in his sins, and he is on his way to a devil's hell. But Jesus mercifully died for us that we could hear the gospel and believe it. Acts 18 verse 8. So that we could repent of all of our sins. Acts 2 38. And we can confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, John 8, 37, I mean Acts 8, 37, and be baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, 38. Therefore, we should realize that whatever time we have left on this, this earth should be lived for the one who died for us that we are all living on borrowed time given to us by the grace of God. That whatever good thing that 
things that come our way are all undeserved. And whatever trials and hardships come our way, well, life is still better than being lost, suffering in a place of torment. There's nothing in this world that we will face that will be more difficult than being in eternity. Lost without God and without hope in that eternal fire. So really, answer me. When you're a faithful child of God, what is there in our future or in our present that we should fear to the point that we are traumatized, immobilized? In Psalm 23, verse 4, the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In Psalm 118, verse 8, he wrote, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. And in Psalm 56, verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Are you fearlessly facing our present invisible enemy? Are you confident or crushed? Remember this. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. You are in control. It's up to you. Not just this virus, not just the situation we're in right now. If you live long enough, you will face many more difficult situations and trials and difficulties in the future. You know what? If you're right with God, your focus is on heaven in the first place. And you realize that we are all just pilgrims down here. This is not our home. We're simply passing through. And the sooner we get through this journey, the sooner we get to be with the Lord. Don't become so fearful that you allow it to cause you to stop living God's will. Never stop trusting in God. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in the lives of those that you love and care so much for, don't you ever stop trusting in God. When you have trust in Him as we all ought to have, it will help us with any fear that may try to creep up in us and cause us difficulties. 
If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. We've already mentioned exactly what you must do to be saved. And the reason you're able to do that, and it benefits you, because Jesus died for you so that you could live for him. It's that simple. But you've got to believe with all your heart that he's the son of God. You've got to repent of your sins, confess him before men, and be baptized in water for their mission sins. And then you continue to study 2 Timothy 2.15. You apply the word of God to your life. You live it and you grow. Monday, heaven will be your home. If you're here and you need to respond in any way, won't you come? Us together, we stand and sing.